On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are chatting with Lauren Lieberman about all kinds of stuff. We're chatting about the Raptors. We're going to be talking about the arts and funding cuts. Is that something that is fair? Is it something that we should even have funding cuts? Cell phones in the classroom, Father's Day. Do fathers get a bad rap? Because sometimes it seems like, especially in the media, and Justin Trudeau, can he campaign negative when the upcoming election arrives? Or is that going to fly in the face of Sunny Ways as he put himself into a bit of a box? All this plus other stuff right here. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. In studio with Lauren Lieberman. And Lauren, we better start with this because it is the story of the day everywhere with the Toronto Raptors last night. Which, uh, first of all, golf clap to the folks in Toronto because... Unlike Vancouver, unlike Montreal back in 93, mm. with one exception, which was there was a shooting, but we don't know if it had any connection. It was well after most people had left the downtown area. It's proven that you can hold a gigantic celebratory party without burning the whole city to the there ground. There was lots of vandalism, though. There were two buses, apparently, that were vandalized in the middle of the crowd. So, and the police said it was a small group of people and they, um, they were, that, that's what the report was. So cop cars were damaged. There's a video of a guy taking the lights off a cop car. It's starting to, the, the narrative this morning was, congratulations, Torontonians, you all behaved yourselves. But it's, there's more and more stories coming out. I, I don't think it was. You don't think so? I don't think it was terrible and disgraceful, but I don't think everybody in Toronto behaved themselves properly. All right. The best thing I saw this morning, um, and it would have been filmed in the middle of the night, uh, a very intoxicated young lady was being interviewed with what's going on, and with her eyes virtually crossed and kind of bobbing and weaving, she suggested how impressed she was with so many Torontonians' ability to climb. Oh, up the like light like poles. Like they're just and, everywhere, and like that's that was her comment. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, nineteen ninety three. After Joe Carter hit the home run, yes. uh, as a much younger man, my we buddy and I watched the game in the basement of our house. My buddy jumped up when the home run went over the fence and punched accidentally punched a hole in my ceiling as he leapt off the couch. That got fixed later. But we r- raced downtown to where Don Cherry's grapevine was once upon a time. Right. On Main Street. On Main at Walnut. Yep. At, well, yeah, it is Walnut, yep. right? And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who had poured out from that bar. And, and there was a guy standing on the light that... Like he'd climbed up the pole somehow and was now out extended standing. And I thought he's going to fall and die. He didn't, thankfully. Alcohol and adrenaline, a dangerous combination. And thankfully, good balance. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. it reminds me of that guy at the Ticat game a few yes. years ago who climbed up the yes. goalpost and yes. hung by the flag. Yes. It's like, well, you know what? If you're going to be drunk and stupid, at least have good grip strength and <laughs> some balance. <laughs> we don't need to see anyone no. fall to their doom. but. The point was that this is a this is a huge, huge, huge party, and I was talking with Bill Kelly about it this morning about what my thoughts are. But wh- why do you think this happens like this? You, you have a because not everybody is a basketball fan. Mm-hmm. Is it just that people love the being part of a party? Is it that people love being part of anything? Is it what, what do you think is the theory for why this works like it does? I think that, um, and I'm going to make the comparison to to the sense of group contagion that existed on uh, the finale endings of Game of Thrones as well. That in this age of 
social media and more screen time and the rest of it, that we are feeling alone and apart and where we can join on something we like to join, whether we are interested in that television show, interested in that sport or not. I don't think we made a whole bunch of new basketball fans. See, I'm, I think it was I wonder a temporary situation. I wonder about that. And I was going to, I was going to get to that uh, about whether or not we hear, we've heard a lot about whether this is the start of a wave of basketball I in this country. I think some, some kids have been inspired and that kind of thing. But you know, your, your average, um, I, I am aware of an insane amount of females who watch their first basketball game who have no intention of watching one again. So they were watching because it was fun, but it was fun. It was a party. It was enjoyable. You're winning. Everyone likes to win. And you don't want to be the the guy at the water cooler who has no idea what you're talking about. There are some. Well, there are still some. Sure. Some, some, and I, I find that odd. Like I, I do find it. You use the Game of Thrones analogy, maybe I shouldn't find it odd because I've never watched an episode of Game of Thrones. I knew it was going on. I knew right. the finale was coming. The difference, I think, I think, although maybe I'm being hypocritical here, the difference, I think, is I didn't feel like at any point in this last season I could just jump into Game of Thrones and have any clue what was going on and, and have, any, have, but, have any meaning to me. Right, Whereas but, a basketball game, oh, if we win, we win. Right, but you can... Um, jump and watch the episodes to catch up and join the Well, hike. if you have time. Well. And that's the difference is I don't think you can necessarily watch the finale of a TV series. Or you can series. talk to your buddy who is a Game yes. of Thrones aficionado and pretend like you care about the finale. Yeah. It's fine. But I was I was a little surprised with some people, and maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't be, that with this all going on that you wouldn't at least just tune in just to be aware. I think a lot of people and did. And I think a lot of people yeah. did. I think a lot of people did. And that's fine. That's cool. Uh, you know, I, I am absolutely not a sports elitist or a sports snob that says, if you have not been a fan of this team right. since 1995, get out of our way. You're just a bandwagon. No, there's lots of room on the bandwagon. There's tons of room on the bandwagon. I'm, I'm a basketball fan. I, I go to games and have gone to games over the 25 year history of the Raptors, but I'll tell you this, God, and it surprised me. Um, I felt really exhausted and not just happy that the Raptors won last night, but happy it was over. It seemed to be the longest playoff ever. Which and it did, but that's, it does go on forever I'm when you just, get to the finals. Uh, right. I'm just not used to <laughs> following a team that far deep into the, yeah. Because baseball, baseball's playoffs are relatively quick. Yes. I mean, three and a half, four weeks, maybe. If you yep. go all the way, it's... Yep. Yeah, we have not had this kind of experience around here in a long, long time. Where actually, we never have, because when the Leafs won the cup in '67, you had to win two playoff series, and you were there. So yeah, this is a first. And and just imagine how exhausted folks in Boston must be when they win every year at everything. Sure, they must. I mean, they must have literally been falling out of their chairs with heart attacks when when they turned on their TV and the Bruins lost, and the Celtics weren't in the finals. They're so used to it now that they, they must have thought the world was spinning on a different axis. Meanwhile, here we are in Southern Ontario, losing our minds, thankfully, for the most part, responsibly. But we're going back to whether or not this is a, whether this is a turning point for a sport. We've got uh, in town this week, and he's, he's home, I don't know if he's home for the whole summer to train, but the first ever NBA player from Hamilton, Shea Gilgis-Alexander who plays for the L.A. Clippers right now. He just finished his rookie season. Uh, two Burlington guys are up f- for the NBA draft coming up in a week or so. Um, it is clearly growing around here. Mm-hmm. But to your point that you mentioned a bit earlier, 
I, I'm, I'm not convinced yet, and we'll see come fall, I'm not convinced that this has the, imp- has the effect that suddenly every game is obviously not like this, but a must-see moment. I, I think if they come out really winning next year, they'll keep some of, the, some of that momentum uh, going. If Kawhi doesn't resign, then well, you might not as well do start the over again. Yeah, they're not going to be winning like this if Kawhi doesn't resign. But if even if he does, you know, he comes out and they win a bunch of games, they'll keep some of the momentum. I mean, it happened with the Blue Jays. If the, as long as the Blue Jays were winning, you had people coming out. Mm-hmm. Soon as nineteen ninety four rolled around, the strike ended after they won their back to backs, and yep. then and then they or no, they were getting killed, and then the strike came, and then it was it was deathly. I don't know. I'll see. You know, you know who else the playoffs must have seemed endless for switching sports for just a second is Zidane Ochara. The story's out today that he played the last three games of the Stanley Cup Finals with a broken jaw held together with two plates, wires, and screws from multiple fractures after being hit by a puck. Did he skate into the roof or something? Yeah, no, he got got hit in the face by a a snapshot and it broke his jaw and he missed part of a game and came back and played. I remember. First of all, there is nobody in any sport anywhere tougher than hockey players. Sure. Anywhere. I don't, uh, rugby. They may be equally tough. They get they get serious injuries and keep on going. Yeah, and they get may bludgeoned. be equally tough. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I you're not going to find too many sports where guys will just sort of shrug off an injury and come back and play like Char did. But he, he, you know, the other thing about the Raptors, which I find so fascinating, is. I can't think of any other year in history when so few Canadians, it seemed, gave a whip about the Stanley Cup Finals. Just couldn't care less. Didn't even know it was still on. Well, if uh, if you're a Leaf fan and the Bruins keep knocking you out, um, you don't love the Bruins, and I don't know anybody who cares about the Blues. There are there have been times in year in years past when I have almost forgotten the Blues were in the league, and I mean I'm a pretty you know, I, I follow sport. And it's kind just, of your job, no? But they're one of those teams that you just go, right. oh yeah, the Blues. Right. Uh, and they've been irrelevant for most of their existence. Sure. But it's so interesting to me that this is, this is the, of how the, the script flipped for this year. We'll see again next year because look, if, if, if a Canadian team, if the Leafs were to somehow figure it out and the Leafs were in the finals next year and the Raptors aren't, I don't think we're going to be seeing massive basketball numbers. And Right, and I also think that we confuse local uh, or regional sports team fans with the fans of that sport. A Raptors fan is not necessarily a basketball fan. No. No, I, I think most of the people who are on the bandwagon if yeah. there's a terrific final next year between Boston and no, the Lakers, course. they're going. Well, but I don't the care. same the same can be said that we have Leaf fans in yes, this region, absolutely. not hockey fans. Absolutely, we have some hockey fans, but no, no, it's those are very different things. The, it's what's been so fascinating is this spring the numbers that the TV network Sportsnet and TSN have been sending out about overnight numbers from the basketball hmm. come out like that. We get them the next day. Wow. Oh, 7.8 million people tuned in last night, apparently, for the Raptors game. Like, they, they had bean counters sitting there counting. Right. They're, they're announcing it like, it like it counts or something. Like it matters. But we have not heard any numbers that I've seen yet for Stanley hockey on the Stanley no. Cup final. Well, there's and, a reason for that. Well, there is a reason. But if it was good numbers, of course. you would have heard about it. That's my point. And the fact that we're not hearing anything 
tells you something. And I, I almost, I almost feel bad for Rogers. I mean, certainly not bad enough to feel really bad because they're not hurting for dough. But after they signed that $12 billion NHL deal a few mm-hmm. years ago, they've had almost nothing go right with that. And this year was just a debacle for them. Like they, the playoffs is where you really make your money and it went. But it's fine. Leafs all the way next year. Well, if the Leafs go all the way, they'll, it won't be like the Raptors this year. And the reason is of course, because other Canadian cities have NHL teams. So it won't be the cross Canada celebration, but around here, around Toronto, the whole other level. It'll be, well, I don't know if it'll be another level, but it'll be like this all over again, oh. if not a little bit bigger. We'll see. It'd be different because you've got younger people watching basketball who are willing to come out and stand in the rain and party all night. The crowd for Leafs may be a little bit older, people but the TV numbers will be people huge. People don't like to talk about it, but it really is as simple as if you go to a, if you go to a Leaf game, it is entirely a white audience. And if you go to a Raptors game, it's like a Benetton commercial. And... Uh, which is a far more accurate um, representation of Toronto and maybe even of Canada, depending on where you are. Um, it's a, it's a significant difference. But and we'll see next year or the year after or the year after that, if they get there, if that same multicultural crowd latches on to the Leafs the way that a lot of people latched on to the Raptors this year, which I think would happen. I think you would see a very, Everybody. a very similar crowd. Yeah. May not be the diehards, but I think you would see the same thing. But boy, us talking about the Leafs going on a Stanley Cup run is, uh, I think both of us need to have post-concussion protocol done. <laughs> it's been a long time. Yes. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lauren Lieberman, who is the perfect person for this next topic I want to get into because part of his background for was for how many years did you run Festival of Friends? Seemed like all my life. <laughs> okay, for a, 15, for a trauma-inducing years, okay, yeah. for a trauma-inducing period of time, Lauren ran Festival of Friends. Well, this week it was announced that due to provincial government cuts due to austerity programs and the Ford government saying we have to cut, which is kind of what they were elected for, whether you agree with the cuts or not, that Supercrawl was losing a grant for two of two hundred and seventy-five thousand uh, dollars. That Festival of Friends, Dundas International Busker Fest, Franco Fest, Hamilton, were losing some funding. What are your thoughts on this? Um, you're right. It's no surprise that there was arts funding cuts from uh, a Ford government. It's it's what we can expect and what we asked for. I do have issue with the government. They announced. The Celebrate Ontario grants several months later um, than normal, and it's impractical. For Announce f- them as far as that you can apply for. No, uh, who won uh, oh, okay. and who got and who didn't get. Um, it becomes pretty useless this far into festival season to finally find out. Um, but I think the real issue here is that essentially it was a thirty percent cut to Celebrate Ontario across the board, and Hamilton got its fair share. And Hamilton got what it deserved based on getting So where did that money go then? Well, it went to the two concerts at the RBC Canadian Open, who got $250,000, not from just the Ontario government, but from Celebrate Ontario. They got that due to recommendations from Hamilton City Hall. Celebrate Ontario 
is an arm of Tourism Ontario, and they check with all the regional tourism offices. And it is entirely either ludicrous, because the councillors don't understand what they did, or disingenuous, that they are now turning, saying, look, look, Super Crawl and Festival of Friends got hosed here, which of course they did, but they didn't get hosed by the province. They got hosed based on preference. Hamilton got every cent it should have got with a 30% um, um, cut across the board. So that being said then, if you're correct, and I'll assume for this discussion, okay, next year there is not a Canadian Open here. There will not be that. So you would assume then that Festival of Friends and these other places will get funding next year. Well, sure. And now the argument should, should be coming from Tim and Rob from... Tim Potasek, uh, yes. who runs fest, uh, Super, uh, Super Crawl. Crawl. That those are one-offs, and but they're not from a provincial perspective. It's not always going to be um, coming and going. The, the, the provincial government doesn't always have to fund a Junos or um, a Canadian Open or something like that. And the municipality who hosts that kind of thing asks the province for the funding. Will there be more money next year? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean... Um, well, something else could come up. Of co- th- that was exactly going to be my point. Would it have been more fair for everybody to have taken the same haircut? Sure. But it's not about fair. And if Supercrawl had scored um, on their application 100 out of 100 and the Festival Friends 100 out of 100, but the Canadian Opens concerts only scored 90 out of 100... That's not how they dole out the money. So it's about priorities. So priorities and what can make the biggest impact, I would yes. assume. Yes. And the Canadian Open, certainly, I, I can't speak to the um, Those the are glorious, very successful. Well, I can't speak to the Glorious Sons concert. I wasn't okay. there that night. I left. I was exhausted. I left right. early, but I was there for the uh, Florida Georgia Line. It sold Georgia out at Line. the end. I was there for Florida Georgia Line. It was a massive event. It got he- headlines and coverage probably across Canada, certainly Absolutely. around Ontario. So is that a good use of money then? I don't is that make... a good use of that money based on what you're, what you're saying, that it should go to the priority of the thing that is going to get you the biggest bang my, for the buck? I don't even want to weigh in with what the priority is, but somebody decided it was a priority. And now City Hall, and I get it, um, Supercrawl and Festival of Friends got screwed. But I think we all need to understand who screwed them. Tourism Hamilton and ECDEV screwed them, not the province. The province doled out the money it always intended to dole out. Same as last year, minus 30%. It's fine. They did their job. Somebody told them where to send the money. So for Jason Farr to move a motion that we should ask the province to look after these events, well, the province wrote the check. Same as last year, minus 30 to be fair to the council then, because I don't know the answer to this question, uh, this is a new council. Was this stuff done because the Canadian Open and these things have been in the works for a while? Could this have been done before this council or some members that, of this council knew about but, it? But Scott, that doesn't matter. You've got staff who takes directions. Things carry on through. You as a council have to abide by what staff did under your direction. And you can't have it both ways. I saw a great tweet today that uh, Max Kerman from the Arkells has offered Nick Nurse, the head coach of the Raptors, who's a bit of a tooler around on his guitar, that he is welcome to do a guitar solo at any concert between now and the end of time. Good idea. Uh, It would be way more interesting to see Max Kerman uh, on the floor with the Raptors, though. 
I would I would like to see both. I would like to see both. But we're talking about cuts to the arts and the festivals, the Super Crawl Festival of Friends, uh, the um, uh, Franco, what's it called here? The uh, Franco Fest. Franco Fest, yes. Uh, that they have received. That their their funding has gone down. Yep. Um, so, here's the thing, though, and, and Lauren Lieberman, who, if you're just joining us for a long time, was the guy who ran Festival of Friends, certainly knows his way around this. Any time we hear the owner of the Bulldogs, for example, Michael Andlauer, talking about a new arena, the immediate response is, our tax dollars should not be going towards helping sports teams. They can live or die on their own. If there's not interest in them, then fine. Should that same philosophy be applied to the arts? If you if, if you have an art gallery and there are not mm. enough people to come in and pay the bills, if there's not people who are interested enough in this, then it shouldn't be there. Why should we have tax dollars paying for these things? Because, so Supercrawl and Busking Fest and Festival of Friends are very different because they're free. And that's something very different than subsidizing a ticketed concert. And I'm not saying one is one is righteous and the other isn't. It's just altogether different. So there is no monetization um, to the attendance of a free festival. And it is for you made you made the point off air, Scott, that the perception was that funding the RBC, and I'm going to keep calling it the RBC Canadian Open, was subsidizing um, an event for uh, the wealthy in Ancaster at the uh, Fancy Hamilton Golf and Country Club, which I do enjoy with lovey. <laughs> um, but, you know, rich people deserve tax dollars, too, for their extracurriculars. Whether that's the case Except or not. Except for the fact that most of, course, of the people uh, who were there. At the concerts, of course. And it's not about sub celebrate Ontario. Their criteria is to promote tourism. Get people from A to B, B being where you're doing your thing. So, But you can't suggest that, that no government money should go into an event that's free because how the hell else do you put it on? So I just got a text from someone who was involved with the Canadian Open concert series. Yes. Says these, and, and now you tell me if you believe this is the case. Celebrate Ontario Grants criteria stated funds had to be used for new or enhanced initiatives. The yes. concerts at the open were a new thing. Not sure how Supercrawl or Festival of Friends positioned their applications. <sighs> okay, so it didn't it had to be for a new initiative? So your grant at the Festival of Friends or Supercrawl could have been for an Indigenous artist stage. Didn't, and I get it, Mark, um, that you didn't have to have an all new event, a new initiative to create some additional um, tourism interest. So yes, that's true, but that doesn't just mean the event has to be new. It, um, it, I've, I mean, I've filled out enough of these grants, so I do know what I'm talking about. Occasionally, I, I am an expert. Where, though, do we... In a perfect world, there would be money to fund all of the, these things, and the pit of money that we'd be pouring into is never going to get smaller. That's just the reality. Sure. Every year we would like more money to do these things. And I applaud people like Tim Potasek, who's behind Supercrawl. He's done a fantastic job building this thing up and he wants to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And who right. wouldn't want to see your work become sure, more accessible to more people? I, I, this is not a criticism of Tim in nope. any way, shape or form. But at some point, where do we say 
that's that's where we have to draw the line. And when we do draw the line, then we have people say, well, you shouldn't be drawing the line. It's it's a very difficult So conundrum. here's the conundrum for both of those events. If they are successful this summer, um, outside of considerations of weather and that kind of stuff, um, then the province kind of wins. You didn't need our money. And success begets success, but so does cuts beget more cuts. And it could be um, the beginning of some real sunsetting from a provincial level on those events and many more like it. Not that I'm wishing them crappy lineups and, and, a, and a tough festival, but if everything goes wonderful and the province didn't help, what does that tell you? Is there, though, any part of you that says, you know, if we're going to put on something like this, and I know they've been free festivals, maybe we should be charging a little bit. No, no, it's an entirely Hamilton thing. And you cannot judge a ticketed event against a free event. It is altogether different. Every community has its events. And the difference is in Hamilton, they're all free. And that is a wonderful feather in our cap. And once upon a time, the city of Hamilton wouldn't finance you and and fund you in any way, shape, or form if you weren't free. We were this wonderful, socialist, egalitarian funding zone. Well, that all ended. And now the events, so that they can qualify with bigger budgets for federal and provincial money, um, a partially underwrite sponsor or otherwise, um, and promote other concerts that are ticketed under their umbrella to inflate their budgets so they can qualify for more grant money. But, the but es- that could essence, also help pay the costs well, if, if they they're wanted su- to. If they're successful. If they're successful. But more than anything else, you are growing your budget to be able to open up doors at higher levels. But the essence of those events and what they're asking for is because they're free. And and you've from Larry DeAnne um, to Jack McDonald, I have heard all you got to do is charge a couple. But well, that's not what they're about. That's not what Hamilton is about. And all you got to do is stop criticizing events you didn't participate in, councillors, mayors, and otherwise elected officials, to understand how important it is to many people in this community especially that there are free events. Appreciate you offering that. I knew you'd be perfect for this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Is there a place for cell phones in the classroom or should they be kept out of there completely? I am curious as to why you would need a cell phone as a student in the classroom. Well, because you could use it, especially if it's a smartphone, you could use it to Google research or you could you could use it as a calculator or you could... It, is it okay that kids can't do basic math? Yes. That's fine because we well, have Well, I don't think it is, but that's because... Well, why not? We're never going to not have a calculator now would go the answer. And as long as you can think your way through the problem... You don't need to know what is two plus two. You need to know how you would figure out two plus two. I was recently in a restaurant where the entire computer system went down. Uh Uh-oh. No, it wasn't. Was uh everybody eating for free? Uh, No, it didn't quite work out uh, (laughs) as favorably as that, but, but it seemed inconceivable. They still did have their phones, of course, but how do we, how do we do? It's crazy. I don't get it at all. What would you need a cell phone for? Okay. As a I'm of the opinion, I, I, and I think you may be on the same one. I'm of the opinion that I would like to see somehow they build a cubby or something at the door where everyone has a little slot in. and you put your phone in there, turn it off and put it in there. And, you know, we still do have phones from the office to the 
teaching to the classroom. So if you had some emergency at home right. that you had to be reached for, it's not like you we've locked you in solitary confinement. The teacher could get a phone call oh. saying, Lawrence needs to get to his phone quickly. What is the argument to keep them? Because... Because it's used as a teaching tool. We can use it to help with classes. We can uh, use different study helps on there and other things. I I don't agree, but there are lots of people, lots of teachers even, who say tablets. Absolutely. Tablets are a big deal. Uh, We use them in Hamilton schools. Phones. But tablets in schools are limited. You're not going to be able to watch YouTube videos in class, right? I, I, I don't hope, know. I, I don't think you are. I don't think so. That you're limited on those tablets to doing curriculum-based things. No? I think so. I, well... Come on. I hope so. I believe that's the case, but ha- I mean, look, you and I are not 15-year-old kids who have grown up entirely with this stuff who could probably do an easy workaround to make sure they could get their texting or their whatever on their tablet. You, you can't tell me that some 15-year-old kid who's given a tablet from the school board can't find a way to get texting. To watch porn in their classroom all Well, day. hopefully not. Uh, hopefully not that, but even to be playing games. What else games. is the internet for? Well, playing games, playing, oh. doing whatever, watching, as you say, watching YouTube videos, doing whatever <clears> else. <throat> I, I, I see, I, I, I'm old-fashioned, I get it, I understand that, but to me, there still should be some capacity to do work without a device. Did the Toronto District School Board gave permission for hats to be worn in class now during... Um, well, hats, and I think if I read... National that, Anthem is fine and hats oh, all day. Oh, I didn't day. know that. Oh, but yeah. I also, there was clothing changes, so girls can now wear spaghetti straps and things like that. They've changed, They've loosened the rules because they don't want, I guess, parents freaking out and calling the media every time some girl gets sent home for dressing in a manner that some How dare you principal, slut shame my daughter. Well, the, ex- no, Exactly. A principal says you're dressed inappropriately. She goes home. They call the media. It's in the paper, and suddenly the principal's under the how, gun. How dare you tell my child to be respectful and take their hat Whoa. off during the anthem? That I don't get. No, that I don't get. And I mean, look, you know, we can have the religious exemption if you're a Sikh and you're wearing a turban or, or something else. I mean, I, you know, like we already provide exemptions for those things in many places in society, or for for Jews who are wearing the the, the yarmulke, yarmulke, or sure. you know, we have exemptions. And those are fine. I don't think too many people have too much problem with that. But really, we, we, I didn't even know this. That we, but yeah. if we've truly gotten to the point now where we yeah. say, yeah, don't even bother. Just leave your hat on. There was a time you couldn't even wear your hat into a school. Forget for the anthem. You take it off when you're inside a building. Well, you take your hat off when you're inside a building. You can't sit down at a restaurant and eat with a hat on. That's really rude. Not anymore, apparently. Well... Anyway, I just... I don't want to live in this world, Scott. That, don't, don't tell me that on the air. I need to get you a counselor then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to go to a different world. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, I, it's, a, it's a great piece. Go up. It's at thespec.com. Two different views of cell phones in school. Uh, there are two different authors, 19 years old and 21 years old. They are both students either in university or probably both in university by now, and they're making the case whether they should or shouldn't have cell phones. I, You know what I'd like to see? I would like to see the Hamilton School Board, even though it becomes difficult and dangerous to start doing things with guinea pigs as kids, kids as guinea pigs, I would like to see for a year them study a classroom where no one is allowed to have a device in the classroom at all and a classroom where kids are allowed. And the only way you could possibly do this is by having the parents 
choose which one their kids could do because if you assign it, you're going to create all kinds of problems. People are going to freak out. But if you had parents say, Lauren, you're, you, my parents want me not to be in the it want me in the no device, and I would love to see what would happen if, to grades. If you had younger children, at what age would you allow them to have a cell phone? I don't mean in class. I mean in general. It's a tough one. Uh, you're, you're not sending your six-year-old uh, around four, with... 14, something like that, maybe. I might give them a, my, my, my sister's kid had a, had a, not a cell phone, had a, well, it was an old iPhone that just had Wi-Fi, So there was no data on it or anything and she could use it at home a little bit, but it was largely, it was controllable. Um, but I would think 14 or 15 or something like that, but certainly not, not, and I wouldn't want it in class. I'd be on the one signing up to say, no, my kid can yeah. go in the class without it and let's see what happens. Then you're going to have a child who's a social media yeah, pariah. I know. I know. They're going to be hated and bullied and sure. wearing inappropriate clothing and sent home by the principal. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This weekend, you know what else this weekend is in addition to Flag Day? Father's Day. Right. And I want to ask you about this because this is a, uh, one of the things. That I, I read a piece about this today and I, I've heard this question before. I've heard this debate before, but we know if you watch TV commercials, if you watch sitcoms, if you watch any Hollywood-ish thing, especially when it's supposed to be funny, one of the things you can probably rely on is that mom will be the anchor of the family and the smart one and the good one and dad will be the buffoon. Sure. Uh, and you could start going through any list, right from the Simpsons, mm. through the Goldbergs, through... Whatever. Dad is the doofus and, oh, the Goldbergs, they're both doofuses. I do enjoy the Goldbergs. It's a very funny show. Yes. And all these, and they're great shows. But the question that was raised in this piece today, and what I want to ask you is, in the long term, when you when this is done over and over and over again, when in every TV commercial it's dad who looks like he's just barely hanging on to some form of sanity and mom is holding things together, does that pose a problem? Does that in the long term create a picture that starts to get some traction that dads are idiots and not all that important? It, it, in terms of Father's Day, we get a different media uptake on it because... From Mother's Day. Oh, very much so, because uh, the children have somebody who will remind them that it's Father's Day. I think there is an element of truth to the cartoon portrayal that dads and men are shown at. Most stereotypes come f born out of, you know, some element of all that. Um, I don't feel too affected by, um, in terms of my identity being uh, um, ill-represented or even negatively but properly represented on television. Well, how much of this, if any, is the, the reality that we do live in a time that if you have to have a comic character. Sure. You've got to have a bad man, not a bad woman. Of you course. Make the, you make mom the idiot. No. And now. Well, then you're a misogynistic, terrible person, and we will protest the existence of uh, your television show and and all of it. I do want to correct you on something, though. If you watch the first two seasons of The Simpsons, um, when they were drawn very um, differently and it was a whole lot weirder and when it began on as 
Tracy Ullman show, that that level of Simpsons. Um, Marge was terrible. She was disgraceful. She was not the anchor of the Simpsons family. They they re- now there was a lot of changes. Smithers was black, for example, for the first really? two seasons. Yeah, yeah. So they made him white and gay instead of black. Um, there were some changes, but Marge was not a not a um, a buffoon, but certainly not uh, a sympathetic character. She was terrible. Just for the point of reference. No, no, because, and the reason I asked the question and the reason this person wrote this thing is because we do know that, I mean, advertising works, good advertising works, any Mm -hmm. advertising works through repetition. Yep. We know jingles in our heads from when we were kids. We know TV commercials, the Big Mac, two all beef patties, specialty. We we know these things because if you hear them enough they get locked into your head. And if, they're, if, if they have a, a, a pattern or something that we can latch onto. And, and this person raised this point, and that is, is it a wise thing? That even though it's funny and it's sitcom and it's ha-ha, is it a wise thing that over and over and over and over again, the father figures, who, believe me, in our society, we have a hard enough time with father figures, that the ones who are there are made to look like idiots. Right. So I think the the parallel would be, Scott, that as much as maybe the Big Mac song stuck in our heads, it didn't necessarily make us go to McDonald's every day and order one. Mm, I well, would it, say it had to be reasonably successful. Well, okay, but but maybe like it didn't make you do no, that. No, it didn't you, make you do it. Right. So... Um, being but, it, but, shown, it, but it affected your thinking pattern, perhaps. If you were th- if you're hungry, it's like, oh, I you know. I I know a lot of jingles that I have no intention of making use of. All right. Um, so, I, I come on. We still have free will, no matter how badly you show me a cartoon. Dad is supposed to be. I, I think it's a bit of a cop out. I just look at the, and I don't know the answer to it. I, I really don't. I've been very blessed and very fortunate to have a great dad. Uh, so I'm not in the, uh, cause See, I look that, at it th- that we have, we have these problems with dads in our society true. and it's, and it's the dad's yep. own fault. It's yep. nobody's fault. If you get someone pregnant and you're not there, I'm sorry, it's inexcusable and you're an idiot. You really are. I, I have no time for that. Uh, I, I have a question for you in regards Go. to father's day. And I think it's an interesting question that, that many of us can ask ourselves, at Father's Day, are, are you, what is the predominant? Your relationship to your dad or your kid's relationship to you? Are you the father or are you the son come Father's Day? Like, I get that a lot of us are both, but what, which is it come Father's Day? It's a great question. I had never thought of that. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you this. On Father's Day, it's a good reminder to me of how outstanding a father my dad was and sure. how high I have to be aiming to try and be that good a father to my kids. That doesn't answer your question at all because that puts me right in the middle of yeah, a bit a, of both. It's a nice answer. But, but it's the truth. It's the truth. This is my first, first Father's Day as a grandfather. All right. So I'm feeling more fatherly, more paternal. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly, my teeter-totter has gone to, I'm, I'm more the recipient than... I'm more of a father than a son this year, and I, I still have a father, and I'm very lucky to, to still have him. But I think that the baby has, has moved me, more towards that way. I don't know; it's weird. How have we? And this is a, just a, such a deep question that I don't expect that we are going to f- answer this one in the next few minutes. But how have we, have, as a society, seemed to be 
not much harder on the fathers who aren't involved. Because, I mean, I know that courts enforce child support payments and stuff now, but it seems to me that as a society, we really don't take to task the people who are fathers biologically and have nothing to do with their kids. And there are plenty of them out there. Yeah, there's plenty of moms that way too. There are. Um, But I think that a mom who abandons her kids or, and and abandon may be a strong word, but has nothing to do with her kids. I think she is shamed for that. I really do. I think that's a, there are people who would look at that with real scorn that you have, you don't, sorry, you're not involved with your kids. Fathers, we don't seem, I don't think we have the same level of disdain for those people. I don't. I do. Do you? Sure. You think that's widely held though? No, but, but I do. And at various points, I was a non-custodial father and committed to a thousand kilometer drive to sustain relationships and those kind of things. Of course, there is nothing more important than your children. Nothing. And I agree a hundred percent with you, but we know there are tons of people and, and I mean, I, listen, I know it's, uh, I know it's, there's bad people, but, but this seems to be the, the, the foundational level stuff that if you have a kid, all right, you can not like your neighbors, you can not like your right, siblings, but, whatever, but as a parent, this is foundational stuff that you, sh- I, I don't understand how you don't do it. And I don't understand as a society, how if you're a person who has fathered a child and you have nothing to do with it, that we are not saying loudly, get your act together. That's your kid. Cause it's, cause ultimately to me, and maybe this partially answers the question that you're giving. It's not about you. It's not about you. As soon as you make that kid, you have your little two minutes of fun or five or 10, depending how good you are. (laughs) But as soon as you do that, to me, you have, by doing that, you have taken the responsibility for the next step. And that is, I now have a child and I have a responsibility and that child needs a father and I'm going to be there. And I don't understand how we are not much harder on those people who don't do that. You're not going to get any argument whatsoever from me. I'm not giving you, um, uh, goodness for the sake of all I can, uh, uh, judge myself by is, uh, the children I've created and how I responded uh, to doing so. Of course, I take it more seriously than some men, perhaps less seriously than others. But I, I, I think we are all the kind of fathers we uh, strive to be. And those who don't strive, there's something uh, wrong with the, the human instinct within them, as far as I can tell. Why is, and, and this is not necessarily a bad thing, but why is Father's Day and Mother's Day treated so differently? Why do you think? Because kids do, I think, look at those two days differently. I, I do I do think they are seen oh, as different things. Very much so. Mother's Day is the most important day every year on the calendar. And um, you're not being facetious. I'm like not that, being no, facetious. I lost my mother a couple months ago. Um, of course, mothers are very different than fathers. Not just to me, not just to you across the board. Of course. Does that though have anything to different, do? not better, no, no, not no, more no. important, but does that have anything to do with the fact that again, in our society, so many fathers are absent that it has changed or yeah, adjusted? Of course. Everybody for the most part knows who their mother is. Yeah. yeah. There's a huge difference. Of course. So it, ultimately in a utopia, they would be not the same, but they would be similar as far as meaningfulness. See that, that, that to me, if, if we as dads. We're doing 
as, as well as we can. Right. Then it could be as strong an emotional day. It would still be very different because fatherhood is something different than motherhood in my eyes, in my, in my parenting and how I was parented. Um, it's not an issue of importance. It's an issue of difference. It's an, and that's, that's part of the whole point of right. this. But we don't need have, to turn fathers into mothers. No, no. But yes. that's but when you say different, like different is not a problem. In no. fact, different is the point of the whole thing. Right. That, that you have the influence of two. Yes, you're supposed to have two, and it's supposed to be the culmination. It took two to make it. It should take two to raise it, of course. Yeah. And, and so different is, different is not the problem. I, I mean, I do also look at getting back to this and how we have changed, even though different is okay, how we've changed the meaning or, or created the meaning. 95% of people, when they buy their mother a Mother's Day card, it's going to be sloppy and maudlin and overwrought with emotion and trying to wring tears out of mom. Yeah. And then you get one for dad, which probably has one of those fold-out things with a bad riddle or right. thing. It, like, yeah. no one ever gets their dad a sloppy, emotional Father's Day card. They get their dad a funny... They do make one. them. They make them. I'm sure they don't sell many. Yeah. Maybe they do. I don't know. Well, if our sons are, uh, and, and daughters are listening, perhaps they could buy us each one for this Sunday. Just Scott. the most horrendously over-the-top, emotional, sappy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you and I will open our cards and have a good cry. Well, no. I'll be reading this going, what were you thinking? Right. <laughs> right. Was this for another father? Because it isn't for me. Right. I just, uh, uh, it, it's an interesting one, just the difference, because again, you, you're absolutely right that, that Mother's Day is a completely different animal. And, and this is, for, for the record, this is not as a father, as two fathers sitting here talking, this is not us complaining, saying, make Father's no, Day no, better. No. It's, you just, you do see that these are two very different things. And I think that, again, fathers have led some of this to happen and society and the media and other things. There's a lot of different things that are involved in how we see the two different parents. Yeah. I. It's not a complaint. It's identifying differences. Yeah. And, it, and as I say, it probably would not be if we did better at this. Right. Not but, as much. We, but if, Scott, it's and important. And not you better. And not uh, I, I the people it, who but, are involved. But all those crappy dads in the world make us look like better fathers. So we should thank them. <laughs> it's an interesting thought. Right? I hadn't, really, I hadn't really considered that we should be. Keep lowering that bar. Yeah. <laughs> We should be thanking. I'll just hurdle over top of it. The absent fathers. That's right. Congratulations. You have made our life better. Yeah. You've screwed up your kids royally. But you've made They're not my kids. Uh, (laughs) Not my problem. Yeah, they're in prison, but that's okay because you made me look good. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We saw, if you were watching any of the Raptors games, the last few games, we saw a sudden, though expected, deluge of negative political attack ads that have suddenly popped up. Now, at this point, these are all third-party ads. The the parties themselves cannot get involved at this point. So these are third-party unions and groups and everyone else who are funding these things. However, it seems based on comments that Prime Minister Trudeau has made in recent years, the way he's, recent months, the way he's fighting back against certain things. Would you agree that it would seem much more likely that we will see from the Liberals in this 
election campaign some negative advertising against Andrew Scheer. Of course. Because last time it was all sunny ways well, and it was all, you know, well, yes very and much no, so. They do have their third party advertising that, to but, do the damage. Yes, but. yes. But I'm, I'm saying even from within the of Liberal course. Party, they allowed the external forces to do the negative stuff last time yes. and walk through the middle as the shiny bolt of light. I expect very much that we won't see that. We'll, we'll try to see that, but if, we'll see more negative about Andrew Scheer from the Liberals this but time. But Scott, if you don't go negative against your opponent, you can only go positive about yourself, and that's pretty tough to do but for the Liberals. the question I want to ask you, though, is this, because that may be the case, but for a guy who has built his politics on sunny ways and being different and being upbeat and being positive... Can Justin Trudeau, he's put himself in a bit of a position here. Can he, can the Liberals and can he run negative ads? Or has he put himself in a position where he only can go with the sunny ways kind of thing because that's who he claims to be? No, people people don't um, follow political ads that closely to notice a difference. They would expect as much and it wouldn't be strange that there would be fear-mongering ads coming from the Liberals against the Conservatives. Of course, it's not a thing. You don't think he'd be called on that for saying from, from specifically from Jody Wilson-Raybould and uh, Jane Philpott, who are, I think, sitting in the weeds waiting File to File that under uh, item 437 were... things you could call him on. I know, but you, you now have two people who I believe are just waiting to get their shots in who will say, we were part of your plan to do politics differently. We're on the outs now because you didn't do politics differently and you still say you're doing politics differently and look here. I, I, I think there's a risk to the Liberals to taking that tack. The, the Conservatives, whether you like them or don't like them, they have not tried to position themselves as the party of Sunny Ways and the leader of Sunny Ways. They, they are more free to do that if they want, I sure. think. People may not like it, but they're free to do it. Uh, the Conservatives are going to win unless the Liberals um, fearmonger about Andrew Scheer, unless they give us... Uh, and Doug Ford. I'm pretty sure Doug Ford's not running for Prime Minister, but that could be very confusing to an adult-minded uh, brain that I have that doesn't figure out politics. I've been listening to those as well, that Andrew Scheer takes his orders um, from Doug Ford and... Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Everything's ridiculous in politics at that level. Well, it, it, the the challenge to me, the thing to me when I see all this and when we were reading stories and seeing these ads that were coming out is the irony of all this and the hypocrisy of it. And I'm not talking about the hypocrisy of the parties or of the leaders or of the advertisers. You and I and all the other voters out there Every time an election rolls around says, I hate negative campaigns. I hate mudslinging. I can't stand it when they go dirty. And then those ads always, always, if they're effective, they always work. Always. Uh, We don't actually say then, sorry, I refuse to vote for you because I can't stand what you did here. If they work, they work and we, they often work. Well... I don't know. I don't know that uh, everybody decides based on advertising how they're going to vote. I don't think that's entirely true. I also think that uh, this is a really appalling field of leaders for this upcoming uh, election. And and I'm not one of those, screw it, every, everybody. I think they really do all stink this time. It, it is not an inspiring cast. No. 
It is not an inspiring cast. And I do think that it does create cynicism within politics when you feel like you have to plug your nose. Yeah. It really does. I, you know, we've had in the States and in Canada, we've had people who have been, you know, here's the funny thing. We, we have people who blanch at the idea of populist or populism. And yet what we're looking for is someone who would be inspire a populist. Us to, inspi- and yes. And what is populist? This is, this is the part that I always find funny. What's a populist leader? It's someone who is popular and has the support of many people behind them. That's, that's not populist. No, that's government. That's no, politics. Like genocide, it's now a word that's been re- redefined. Well, I know. Um, populist means uh, fascist tendencies. Well, no. That's, that's what it means now. Uh, yes, that's what it means now. That's what it's been turned to mean. But every single politician wants to be a populist. That's how you win, that you I, get the most numbers of votes. And so we say we don't like, another word, as you say, we don't like populist. We don't want a populist leader. Well, that's actually how a democracy works, is by having the person who gets the most votes mm-hmm. and by becoming a populist. We won't even get into the genocide thing. Another time. Well, I, actually, let's because you know you do have a you do have a an indigenous background. I have a strong indigenous understanding. Yes, yes. So we talked about this this week on the show. I'm trying to understand when Justin Trudeau does come out and say yes, this is a genocide. And it's a past and current, it's the past and current policies. Uh, He is the leader of the country and he is acknowledging that this is a genocide that is ongoing. Is he not therefore guilty of genocide? I want to take this one step further back, Scott. So so we're talking about the report that came out on the 4,000 missing and murdered Indigenous women. Yes. There was 220 or so um, recommendations at the end of the report. And by my memory, maybe 30 had something to do with the 4,000 missing and murdered women and 190 had to do with the different levels of atrocities that over generations and centuries that the Canadian government and the colonials before that did to our indigenous persons, which is very important but not within the scope of the finding. This was supposed to be about 4,000 missing and murdered women, and we have learned very little. But we've got a lot of anthropology understanding on it. It is a disgraceful report when you consider what it was set out to do. And there was a real question at the start of it, and it just ends up like everything in Trudeau, um, indigenous person world with tears and apologies, but there's no answers. But wait a second. Has there been an apology? That's like all he does. No, Every time been... he makes an appearance on any reservation I or understand otherwise, that. that's, he's but not for apology. this, not for this, because in this case we, he has said it's been a genocide. I haven't heard an apology partially because if he apologizes in this case, he has to apologize for his own behavior because he is the current leader. I don't well, hear an apology coming. He this. does need to apologize for his behavior because 
unlike previous prime minister um, Harper, who settled a record amount of land disputes and who actually did things for indigenous people without, but what he didn't do, what Mr. Harper as prime minister did not do was give them lip service and give them love publicly all the time. Mr. Trudeau has done nothing for the native community except hug them. And I get that that's important too, but make real change. It's awful. And this report is a failure. But I go back to my point. If this is, if the report, if we are accepting this report, yeah, whether it's the prime minister guilty, or anyone else, of course. if you are accepting this report and saying, yes, as the report says, it is a past and ongoing genocide, I, and you are the leader of the country in the category of ongoing, you then, by definition, as best I can understand it, are guilty of genocide. Now, I don't believe that Justin Trudeau is guilty of genocide, by the way, just in case. I mean, that's, that's, an, that's a ridiculous thing. I don't actually believe that. But if you are going to accept these findings, you, he himself is saying, I'm guilty of genocide. I'm the leader of the party that's in power <laughs> while this genocide is going on. Right. And I think it's important that we make the distinction that the United Nations has created a new definition for the word genocide. So it is proper use of that worm, word based on its new definition. But like all new definitions of words, it is a loaded word to begin with. Of course. And when you use the word genocide, I don't care how you want to miss, or, or sorry, how you want to reformat it. You hear genocide, you think Holocaust, you think Rwanda, you think... Uh, uh, where else? I mean, a bunch of other places, sure. Vietnam, I mean, it, Armenia, it, Laos, Cambodia. Yes. I mean, yes. these are these are places where hundreds of thousands of people were slaughtered. And I, you can you can reframe the word genocide all you want. Find a different word. You know, when we when we have and, and this is a, a challenge in the media for sur- for sure. When I work at the paper many times in the last 20, 25 years, the proper terminology for disabled people has changed. Yes. Because you would no longer call, once upon a time it was retarded. Well, we're not going to call someone retarded now. That's an offensive term to call someone. And on and on, handicapped is no longer generally considered to be a proper use of the Uh, word or... Within the gay community, the accepted terminology changes by the minute, it would seem. And why is that? Because the word, you, you can't just necessarily change how people perceive that word. That word that was there previously carries connotation. Yes. Well, genocide carries a connotation. And you can't just say, well, now it means we took away some of their happy feelings, like, or whatever the new definition. Wow. It's, I, I'm being facetiously yes. okay. loose with that one. But I'm saying you can't just lighten it or broaden it to include a whole. It In people's minds, it means Holocaust. It means Rwanda. It means Mogadishu. It means all these different things. It doesn't mean a few thousand people who, from what I understand, many of the indigenous women who were murdered or missing at least a fair number of them at the hands of indigenous men and this is not is not not true well of course it's true but the report doesn't delve into that it skips over that possibility and talks about root causes and that's great but that's not what it was about this report does no proper service to those 4000 women that's what it was called that's what it was about if this is a genocide 
And we can, again, you and I and everyone else can debate this all day long. If this is a genocide, what's happening in inner city Chicago must also then be a genocide by the definition of what's going on. And I don't believe that is any more I than I believe this is. I don't get all the emails from the United Nations, but they changed the international definition. So it is. They're right and you're wrong. Oh, of course. Kofi Annan knows better than you. Of course he does. Yes. and Kofi. It is, it, to me, as I say, if you, if you as prime minister accept the definition, yes, re- whatever the then definition the is, you are guilty. Yeah. Well, yes. You are. You, there is no other. No, but he's he's even more guilty because he pandered to that community beyond belief and continues to without affecting the change to any degree that so he. So why then, if he has said? This is a genocide. And he is the leader of the party. Why is nothing going to happen? Because nothing's going to happen. And I don't believe it should happen. I go back to my point. I don't actually believe Justin Trudeau is guilty of genocide. But if you're saying we are committing a genocide. Because sometimes, Scott, people feel better hearing things than having things actually accomplished. That's why. So he will continue to talk. So... What should happen then, and I said this this week on the show, what should happen if this is in fact the case and if it is the position now of the government of Canada that this is a genocide, every living prime minister should be arrested and tried for genocide. There are an awful lot of our First Nations communities that would agree with what you've just said. And I know you are being salacious, if not facetious. Um, Over the top. Okay, there is an awful lot of our indigenous persons who believe that and feel very strongly that way and can make a bit of a case for it. I think you can absolutely make a strong case that many of our political leaders over the years have been ineffectual, and that's the low side of the bar, and willfully ignoring of the problem at the medium level of the bar. I don't know how many that I, I, because I haven't studied this politically enough to know how many of our prime ministers have actually said, just forget about it. Just ignore the problem completely. I don't know, or, or, or worse than that. I, I, I can't speak to that. But there's a danger in looking at decisions made um, throughout history of prime ministers, of, of any um, political leaders of different eras without understanding the context of which uh, when they 100%, govern. 100%. So if we're going to go back But we're not good at that ch- now. We want to take statues well, down and everything else because... Um, but, but let me go back to the point. Then we got to take a break. If I have a real thing that just rankles me about our current prime minister, it is the endless apology tour except... When it's something that he or his government has done, we seem to never have an apology for that. There's always an explanation. And if this is genocide, again, by and he's ex- yes. he said that, he should apologize for what he, not for what the people weigh before him, that he can wash his hands and say, well, well I'm way, so much better than them. It's easier to apologize for of things that you're not it responsible is. Of for. Of course it is. I'm not looking for easy then. If you've admitted to being involved in a genocide, you should be apologizing and taking whatever lumps politically or otherwise if you truly believe that that's the case. And he has said publicly, yes, this is genocide. He said the word himself. 
you should not be afraid. If you can apologize for everyone else, you should apologize for what you've done. And I don't see any evidence of that. And that drives me nuts. Apologize all you want for the others, but stand up when it's your turn to apologize for your own actions. You just resent his great hair, don't you? I resent. That's what it's about. Mm, Maybe. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.